Okay, testing, testing. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Okay. Uh, <coughs> uh, <coughs> uh, <coughs> I feel a little gross this morning in my throat, but too bad. Too bad, too bad, too bad. We're in Numbers in chapter 11 again. I mean, not again. We haven't never been there before. We're in Numbers again in chapter 11. <coughs> uh, <coughs> the book so far, but before we start, we got a, I got another ancillary reading to, to do before we go to Numbers. Turn to... Uh, just uh, quickly, First Corinthians chapter ten. Mm-hmm. Usually, I just reference these things, but I'm gonna we're gonna read them. <coughs> First Corinthians in chapter ten. <coughs> Let me get that out of the way. Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. <clears throat> Funny, whenever they say that. <laughs> Usually they're talking about stuff that's way over our heads. I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, who would have possibly been angry about any of that, you know? Those principles and things. <laughs> I'm see. I'm being, uh, but really, they, are, they always open up when they say, "I wish you weren't ignorant," and uh, and delve into stuff that. Oh, what? I don't understand what you're talking about. I'm ignorant. That's the way it is. Anyway, we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And if Paul hadn't written some of these things, we would have continued to be ignorant. Who would ever thought these things if they hadn't been written down for us to read and say, oh, I never thought of it like that. Funny that way. Verse 5, but with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now all these things were our examples. <clears throat> so now you know why I read that, because that's all about what we're studying. That he's talking, he's referencing their traveling through the wilderness, right? The children of Israel. They were they drank of that spiritual rock. Moses smote the rock, out came the water at Rephidim. The water from the rock. Are are we on the same page? No. Yes, I do not want you to be ignorant. <laughs> I kind of want to be a, you understand why I'm referencing this chapter, this text, because this is what we're studying in Numbers. Okay, good. I was just not getting any connection here, no feedback. I was thinking, um, okay, verse 6. Now, all these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Well, that happens to be in chapter 11, that record that we're going to study. They lusted. 
Neither be ye idolaters, and were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Now that is way previous. That's in Exodus, that record, in chapter 32 or 20. Anyway. <clears throat> so, uh, and neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Now that happens later in the book of Numbers. So he's jumping around in their history. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted and were destroyed of the serpents, also later in Numbers. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. I'm not exactly sure what that is referencing. I mean, it could be a few different things. All these things happened unto them for examples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man, and there's record of how it has happened and affected people in the past, and that's why we're studying numbers, part of the reason. It is common to man, these temptations. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, <clears throat> that's a little further than I intended to read right there, but I was just referencing the fact that we as in this age, in our lives, need these Old Testament histories and stories to exhort us in our daily, in our daily life, in our walk, in our understanding. You don't want to be ignorant. Look at, let's go to Psalm, uh, I think we'll go to Psalm 106 first. 106, please. I just want to read some of these. Uh, these are the psalmist writing about the history of the children of Israel. This is the last psalm in the book, in the fourth book of Psalms, if you know what I'm saying there. The Psalms are broken up into five books, Pentateuch of books, and they parallel the five books of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And this one is the last psalm of the numbers section of the psalms. Just so you have that reference in your mind. It, doesn't, it won't make uh, much obvious sense right now, but it's always something to have to meditate. I'm going to just start reading at verse 13. They soon forgot his works. He's talking about the children of Israel. After he brought them out of Egypt, in verse 9, he says, He rebuked the Red Sea. It was dried up. He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. You see, and he redeemed them and so forth. He speaks of that. They sang his songs in verse 12. But in verse 13, they soon forgot his works. And they waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. It goes on to speak about how they envied Moses. That's in chapter 12. We won't read that now because that's coming. 
But this is for today. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. He gave them the request, but sent leanness to their soul. Psalm 78 <clears throat> is another historical psalm about travelings of the children of Israel. It's a long, long psalm, as you can see. Now I'm going to break in in verse 12. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as a heap. And in the daytime also he led them with a cloud and in the, and in the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused the waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him. By provoking the Most High in the wilderness, they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. <coughs> Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? These were their comments, according to the psalmist. It's the Holy Spirit's commentary on what happened in the book of Numbers there. Verse 21, Therefore the Lord heard this and was angry. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and had opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh upon them as dust and feathered fowls as the sand of the sea, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. So they did eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. But while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. <clears throat> and it goes on. Uh, much of that story is, has a very sad note, doesn't it? And I read first, we read first, uh, now you can back to Numbers 11 if you would. We read first those verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, talking about how the various temptations and all, and the sinning of the children of Israel was something that we need to uh, take note of recognizing that what tempted them to sin was is not an uncommon thing in fact we can we we must identify with that and realize uh, that that is uh, our lot as well in this wilderness and be very much 
recognize our own vulnerability and susceptibility to the same sins that God had to deal with his children of Israel in the wilderness over. The same sins. <clears throat> well, what happened here? In the first uh, ten chapters of the book of Numbers, we have been reading about and considering all that God has done for his people. How he organized that camp and all that he had uh, uh, put into play for them, for their, for their cleansing, for their ability to serve him and each other in holy things, for their ability to march through the wilderness efficiently and effectively and make great progress. He, he gave them the cloud overhead for their guidance, uh, and he gave them the double trumpets for their, also for their confirmation of that guidance. And even beyond that, the ark went before them, as the last uh, verses of chapter 10 tell us, that the ark went before them, in verse 35, it came to pass when the ark set forward, that Moses said, no, that's not the ones I was thinking of, that the ark, verse 33, they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. So this gracious uh, guidance of God, searching out a resting place in the wilderness for his people. He knew they couldn't make it without resting and refreshments and so forth. And he cared for them even in those details. All that God has done for them in chapters 1 through 10. And uh, it's all been about what God has done. And now chapter 11 begins with what the children of Israel have done. How, how, what did they do? And so, <clears throat> it, it, it's, it's, what the people did is a strange and uh, shocking contrast to what God had done. All the perfections and care and mercy that God had done is, re, is uh, returned by complaining and lusting and speaking against Moses and then rebelling against the actual command of God altogether, just total unbelief in the provision of God and his power to keep and deliver. That's what the people did. It is really kind of a surprise that at that point when the ark is, is, is before them, leading them before them, they this is what you get. This is the immediate next thing in the context. Uh, I was reading in the notes in the Pentateuch by C.H. McIntosh, and this is what he says about this <clears throat> shift in the book. Up to this, God and his actings have been before us, but now we're called to contemplate man and his miserable ways. This is ever sad and humiliating. Man is the same everywhere, in Eden, in the restored earth, in the wilderness, in the land of Canaan, in the church, in the millennium, man is proved to be a total failure. And the very moment he moves, he breaks down. Thus, in the first two chapters of Genesis, God is seen acting as creator. Everything is done and ordered in divine perfection, and man is placed in the scene 
to enjoy the fruit of divine wisdom and goodness and power. But in chapter 3, man moves and all is changed. The moment man acts, it is to disobey, to bring in ruin and, and desolation. So after the deluge, when the earth had passed through that deep and dreadful baptism, and when man again takes his place therein, he exposes himself and proves that, so far from being able to subdue and govern the earth, he cannot even govern himself. Hardly had Israel been brought out of Egypt when they made a golden calf. No sooner had the priesthood been set up than the sons of Aaron offered strange fire. Directly Saul was made king. He proved willful and disobedient. So when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we find the same thing. No sooner is the church set up and adorned with Pentecostal gifts than we hear the sad acts of lying to the Holy Spirit and murmuring and discontentment in chapter 6 of Acts. And in short, man's history from first to last, here, there, everywhere, is marked with failure. There is not so much as a single exception from Eden down to the close of the millennial day. Wow! <clears throat> That's an indictment against mankind that is, well, we can't argue against it. It's, it's uh, in fact, accurate. And, and uh, Macintosh goes on to press the point to his readers that we must each recognize the truth of this sad reality in our own souls so that our in owning our lost and sinful, hell-deserving condition, we might appeal to God for mercy and look to the Savior. We would discover the necessity of the absolute death of Christ on our behalf for our sins. The, the, uh, the value of the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all of our sins. If we don't understand the depth of our real need, our depravity before God, then, well, then we lose the value, we lose uh, estimation of the value of what Christ has done and who Christ is that did this great work. <clears throat> that's the danger. And I think that that's the primary reason why so much of the Old Testament is clearly describing and outlining the absolute failure of the children of Israel and of mankind in general. So much is told to us about that. And the point is, with such dramatic and desperate condition of the heart of man, it took a mighty Savior took a mighty Savior to deal with our terrible condition. And if we learn nothing else from understanding the, the children of Israel's conditions, we should at least recognize that that is a reflection. These stories are a reflection of our hearts, of our lives, of what we are. very important to grasp that. It's hard to get it because we don't really think we're that bad. But we are. We really are.
And so chapter 11 begins just like that. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Taberah means burning. The people of Israel complained. Why? What did they complain about? Well, it doesn't say. It doesn't really say, and it really doesn't matter all that much, does it? Uh, when things are not quite the way we like them or think that they should be, we have a tendency to complain, yes or no. Am I the only one? <clears throat> now, that's not just to identify that things are difficult, not just recognizing that uh, things are undesirable and, and, uh, and even admit to that we don't like uh, and are unhappy with some of the things that are undesirable. That's not necessarily complaining. Uh, for example, and, and I, have, I had to spend a lot of time thinking about complaining because Well, sometimes we, you know, things just are not, they don't happen the way we would like them. But, well, after all, uh, this is the wilderness, right? Hello? Wilderness is, by definition, undesirable place to live. Difficulties abound. And the point of that is we don't settle down and feel at home here. We're traveling on to glory. This is not our home. And so certainly this is not going to be our place of comfort. And there's little bits of comforts and rest and so forth along the way, but they are just like, like little tokens that beat us forward. Jeffrey, when he was here, Jeffrey uh, uh, from Africa, from uh, I don't know if you, some of you met him. He was uh, he used to he used to say that he did not like the cold in North Dakota. He used to say that when you go outside and it hurts to breathe, that's too cold, in his opinion. <laughs> I said, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so, but to express the fact that 20 below is uncomfortable and I don't like it, it's hard on my vehicle, it's a stress and a hassle, and to, and to recognize that problem uh, that we have to live with and deal with, that's not necessarily complaining, I don't think. And I, I hope I'm not wrong in this. When we were out on our honeymoon, cross-country skiing, I was talking to Connie about it because I really am troubled about it. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize and make excuses for complaining. That's the other danger that I fear. If I am complaining, I want to stop it. But if I'm, but what do you do when you're trying to cross-country ski and every four seconds your binding lets loose and you say, nah, nah. These bindings are wore out, or they're not strong enough for my big fat body, or something's wrong here. Most skiers are slim and trim, you know, but I'm kind of like a hulk on two little sticks, you know, going through, going through the trees. <laughs> big, that poor little binding down there going, oh my word, what am I supposed to do? You know, it pops off every few seconds. 
Now, to, to recognize that, I'd say, oh, this binding is stupid. Is that complaining? Ah, I don't know. I don't want it to be. Uh, it, it is something, though, that <clears throat> there, the psalmist, I'm just going to reference Psalm 142 and verse 2. And there are others. This is just one that I landed on quick, and I didn't spend time looking up a bunch of other ones. 142 and verse 2 says, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. So here is the psalmist. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. I poured out my complaint unto him. <coughs> The psalmist was complaining, but, but not punishing. He would not be punished for that complaining. He was helped for it. God heard him, helped him, came to his rescue, and saved him. <clears throat> but there's something different going on here, and it's actually a slightly different word between the two kinds of complaining. I think the kind of complaining that we find in Numbers chapter 11, uh, it seems to have a sense of a note of self-pity that's contained in it, a pretty strong note of self-pity. Uh, uh, feeling sorry for myself or thinking I deserve better. And when, when, when our recognition that things are not the way we want them to be turns to self-pity, to uh, a <clears throat> that kind of expression that 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 is uh, that would be it seems to me the fine line if you were between complaining and just recognizing the situation as it is. The word in the psalmist uses this to, means to express a disagreeable situation. The word here used in Numbers chapter 11, the definition of it is to complain or to find fault. And, and I lean heavily on the second part of that definition. They were, when they were complaining, they were being critical <clears throat> of who? I mean, who brought them there? Who led them into that wilderness? Who organized their whole system as they were there in the wilderness and was responsible for taking care of them in the wilderness, had taken that responsibility on himself, was the Lord, of course, himself. And so they're complaining was actually finding fault with the Lord and his provisions. Their complaining was directed, whether they knew it immediately or meant it to be so or not, that's what it was. The Lord heard it. And the Lord was displeased by it. And why not? Wouldn't he be? <clears throat> what were they saying as they were complaining? 
<clears throat> they were saying they really don't trust the Lord. Well, there's four kinds of statements that we should identify what a complaining against them. There's two different ways of looking at this. One is that we are complaining against the Lord or we're complaining to the Lord. That's what the psalmist was doing. He was turning his, his complaint, his disagreeableness into prayer and supplication. On the other side, there's one that is complaining against the Lord and turning his uh, his, the, the disagreeableness and difficulties into self-pity and into self-defending. He's defending oneself and, and uh, uh, feeling sorry for myself. That's the other kind of complaining. If that kind of complaining, that self-pity complaining, accusing the Lord's care of something's wrong with it, there's, po there's four possibilities that would come to line light there. First of all, <clears throat> they were saying, evidently the Lord is not with us. Now, in, uh, in Exodus, when they were complaining about the water, that's, they came right out and said that. Is the Lord among us or not? They were questioning whether or not the Lord really was being honest when he said he would, he would be with them and guide them and lead them. I don't know how they could, they could never have really imagined these children of Israel. Could they have ever really imagined that the Lord was not with them? They had the cloud, but they could see it in the fire at night. They could see it. What, what about us? The, the Lord Jesus has said to us, without his direct statement, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So, <clears throat> for us to complain about things and suggest that things are bad and it's not fair that they're this bad, uh, we're, we're suggesting that the Lord really isn't with us like he said he was going to be. We're suggesting that he lied to us. That he's not we're, we're calling in question his truthfulness, his reliability, his faithfulness. Is the Lord true when he said he would never leave us nor forsake us? And if he is with us, we certainly cannot complain, can we? Unless we be praying. That kind of complaining. We pour out our complaint, our concerns, our issues to him and appeal to him and draw near to him in it. But this kind of complaining that the children of Israel were doing and that, yes, I have been guilty of. This really, this chapter, was I tried to figure out how to explain this and I started discovering some of the really fundamental things that's going on when we complain in an evil way. It really hit me between the eyes. Uh, because I have been a complainer. I'm ashamed to say. A lot of times when I'm at work, you know, not I'm not working now, so it's okay, but 
when I was working, things didn't go right. Ethan didn't work hard enough or something. I would complain in my heart or sometimes out loud. Complain about the boards being crooked. Complain about the nail gun plugging up. Complain, complain. I complained a lot. Or we might, if we're not, <clears throat> if we're not trying to, if we're not suggesting that the Lord is not with us, maybe we're saying that the Lord doesn't care. He's here, but he doesn't care. Doesn't care that I'm suffering, that I'm having a hard time, that things aren't going well, that uh, I should have it better than this. I really want this thing to be, I'm so tired of this. This is so disgusting. I'm so mad. Does the Lord not care? We either call in question his truthfulness, or we call in question his love and his loyalty to us. And who could, in their right mind, in any sense of rational thought at all, ever question the love of the Lord Jesus for us, who gave himself for us? No, that's not possible. So then maybe we're saying that the Lord isn't able to take care of us. He's inept. Can you even say things like that? Can we even imagine that? Can we call in question the power of the one who subdued the enemy on our behalf and brought us out of darkness into light and from the kingdom broke the back of the kingdom of Satan and brought us out in, and introduced us into the kingdom of God? And should we suggest and say by our complaining that he's not really able to take care of these details in my life? Or worse, and the other only other option I could come up with, we're suggesting that if he is with us, cares or not, we don't know, or if he doesn't able, he is able, but he he's he's mean. That the Lord is malicious. That would be the only other possible thing that we could be suggesting by complaining about him. We're saying the Lord really is mean, letting these things happen, and it's deliberate. We ch challenge his character, his goodness. You know, if we're saying something like that, there, there is absolutely... How, how could there ever, how could you be even forgiven? Do, do we realize how serious it is to complain? I haven't. I haven't realized that I could make excuses for it and pass it off as, oh, well, it's just a temporary thing. I'm tired, and so I get kind of grouchy. If you heard me complaining, 
you should pick up stones and stone me to death. That's the level of seriousness these kinds of things arise, arise to. I'm blaspheming your God, your Savior. So as I thought about this, uh, you know, the seriousness, the gravity, I I never want to ever complain again as long as I live. So I'm hoping, I'm I'm trying to be very, 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 very uh, cognizant of what I say and think when I'm working and when I'm every day and when little things go wrong, little issues that pop up and that you can't control. It is the wilderness after all, isn't it? I'm really uh, thankful for the conviction in my soul for this, and I want to, uh, I'm I'm sharing this with you all so that you can keep me, uh, watch me, and make sure that I don't mess up. I, I can't undo what I have done, but I, I never, ever want to say another word of complaint in my life. The opposite of complaining is thanksgiving. And may I burn it into my soul to be thankful in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This wilderness journey is filled with difficulties and disagreeable things. These are the diverse temptations that James refers to in his first chapter. When you fall into diverse temptations, he says, count it all joy. Give thanks. They minister to us. They're not against us. They're not turning us. They're not designed. Well, they're designed in such a way that you have a choice. You can turn sour and complain, or you can turn... Uh, be thankful and let them minister to you and actually improve, grow, become a better, uh, more fruitful Christian and a representative of Christ by the ministry of these wilderness difficulties. There is a way of escape. God has seen to it. His faithfulness has made that certain. We are able to bear it. They complained in the wilderness there. The Lord heard it. He heard that they were saying against him. Well, how do you suppose he felt about that? And he had to put a, he had to help them see the, da- the damage, the difficulty, the, ha- the, the seriousness of their situation and let the fire begin to burn in the outermost ring of the camp. It doesn't directly say in the text that people were burned, but maybe they were. I don't know why they wouldn't be. Why, would, why have I not been burned? 
I wonder. The fire of God that, that came upon these <clears throat> appears once in a while. I'm not going to go into this kind of connection, but I think it could be done. Uh, not long ago, it appeared uh, on those on Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron that brought strange fire before the Lord. Strange fire. And then the fire of the Lord burned. Well, this is sort of a strange fire, isn't it, that they were bringing before the Lord, this accusations of his unfaithfulness to them and of his incompetence and so forth. And the fire of the Lord burned among them, it says. <clears throat> Maybe it was the heat in the wilderness that they were complaining about, and the Lord turned up the thermostat a bit. I remember uh, when my kids were kids, one thing that I frequently had to say to them, too frequently, but frequently had to say to them, stop your crying or I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> you know, and then that usually was fairly effective. If not, it became effective <laughs> because I followed through. <laughs> Stop your crying. If you're crying and whining, the one thing you need is something to cry and whine about to change their tone a little bit. <clears throat> well, that seems to be the way the Lord handled it. Now, we won't see the fire of God in our lives. Uh, thankfully, I guess we should say thankfully, but on the other hand, you know, I hate to go on and be a complainer. That would be worse. I would rather be burned. It's just it is, you, when you think of what you're actually saying against God. No, who could think like that? But we won't see the fire burn until the judgment seat of Christ. Then we will come before him and that fire will burn up all of our murmurings and complainings. And then, of course, it says we will suffer loss. We will see how displeasing some of the things in our lives were to our gracious and loving Lord. We'll understand some of the gravity of some of the things that we made excuses about. Now, that's not what we want, is it? And so we try to learn these lessons from the text, from the scriptures, by the Spirit of God, and really bring them home to our hearts. Learn what Tabera is all about. The burning. The burning. The fire of the Lord. <clears throat> and the, the text, without a skipping a beat, jumps immediately into the next problem that the children of Israel had, and that is lust. <clears throat> And these two, obviously, then must be taken together. They fell to lusting, it says. Now, if the complaining was began perhaps in the per peripherals, out in the outer fringes of the camp, maybe. It seems as though possible. That's where the fire burned. This began with the mixed multitude. Mixed multitude, it says in verse uh, 
For the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Shoot, we're out of time. And, and this takes a little time to develop. Hmm? What'd you say? <laughs> There's another week, huh? Of course, if I went on and on and on, you wouldn't complain, would you? <laughs> yeah, this takes a little time to develop, and I think it is really an important, and as another important lesson to contemplate. So we will we'll just stop where we are. We will stop at verse 3. Our Father, we are so thankful to you for your great grace and mercy. We, we marvel at it. I am personally absolutely astounded. Surely logic would say I should have burned multiple times. And, and yet we find grace and mercy from you. That work of the cross That was huge. And we give you thanks for it. We pray that it would not be uh, uh, wasted on us. That your spirit would help us and uh, take these lessons that uh, the children of Israel had to live through to give us these illustrations and things. Uh, take these stories and, and burn the application into our hearts. May we not be displeasing, but pleasing to Thee. We pray in Jesus' name.